Hello beautiful people. I want to talk to you today about something that seems to be coming up a lot in my work at the moment and that's working with our inner child. I'm cringing slightly as I use that phrase because I'm very aware that it can be very associated with a sort of self-coddling that can make a lot of us feel really uncomfortable. The idea that we have this inner child to work with and that it's so much in our mental health narrative and discourse and various different psychological approaches can make us uncomfortable in the sense that we feel associated with childishness. We feel that we have failed like an inadequate parent to manage our child properly. And I think it would just be, well, I hope it would be helpful to just spend this podcast exploring why I think inner child work is so important and particularly for third culture kids. I suppose a good place to start might be in terms of how we even recognise our inner child. How do we know when that inner child is showing up? Um, How do we make contact with it in order to even begin to explore and work with that? And I think the best way that I can sense in myself or what gives me an indication with a client if we're working with an inner child issue is there's a a few markers I suppose that I look out for I look out for a sense of helplessness a sense of sort of overwhelming oh there's too much I can't um I look for a sense of feeling out of control feeling a feeling that tells us that introduces a kind of internal panic that feels disproportionate to the events that are actually happening um for me for example um one thing that can target my inner child into activity and panic is if i feel if something happens that makes me feel somebody isn't prioritizing me so that could be somebody is running late to an appointment that we've made it could be that um they've needed to cancel because of a another commitment another engagement there are places in my adult mind that completely gets why that is okay that life is messy and complicated and sometimes things get cancelled and it's not always personal and in fact if I'm really being rational I know that I have done the same myself to many loved ones and it is in no way a reflection of my prioritizing of our relationship um It's just life. But I can spot that in a child when the panic overrides my rational logicking out, when the feeling of abandonment or rejection or helplessness or panic 
lingers and haunts and and drives my behavior in a way that is different from how my adult self wants to approach the situation with calm and reason and oh well what do we do now kind of logic and, and rationality there's a compulsivity about our inner child and I think an awful lot of that is just to do with the the youngness of that part of us the part of us that completely is so in the moment um I think of my own child and of my own memories of myself as a child and there's a lack of perspective in those experiences where somebody being late means that I think I might never see them again. Where something getting cancelled means I'm never going to get to do that activity again. It's, it's alls and it's nevers and it's forevers. It's all these big words where we extrapolate out from our immediate situation and it, and it becomes all-encompassing. And now let's think about TCKs. <laughs> and... And how so often, well, let me backtrack a moment. It's written about a lot with TCKs already that conflict um, management in relationships can be really challenging. And I think that an awful lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of our relationships were truncated. We left or they left. So the time that it takes to round off a conflict, to recognise that after the apology there comes a change, to feel ourselves organically move into new spaces in relationships. A lot of us lack those experiences. Our endings are more abrupt And they don't leave very much room for minor changes, little adjustments. It's all or nothing. We're there or we're not there. And that really complicates, I think, our inner child's experience because when we hit those disappointments or those challenges in our relationships, as an adult, our inner child has a very strong data set of internalized rules of how to manage that. It's panic stations, it's cut and run, it's see they never cared about me anyway. In case I sound like I'm generalizing, this might not be your story. Not all TCKs respond similarly. This is just my experience in the therapeutic room and my own experience as a TCK. And I think there's enough of us going through this that it matters and it, it's worth the conversation. My inner child is the part of me that knows, that knows that if I go upstairs and read a book, I'll feel better. 
I'm going to reframe that. My adult self knows that. My inner child knows that chocolate would make me feel better. <laughs> There's this internal conflict. And I think it's helpful to be able to pass out those, those different parts of us to be able to say, oh, okay, so adult me wants to go and do some yoga and child me wants to sulk in the dark and eat chocolate. Right. Okay different desires, different solutions. In terms of inner child work for third culture kids, it's really important to pay attention, I think, to the different cultural models of childhood that we grew up exposed to. And this is the sociologist in me, right? Sociology of childhood is an entire field in and of itself. But if we just zoom in a bit into our own story, and maybe it'd be helpful to grab a pen and paper at this point, actually. I like to scribble out my thoughts. But which cultures were formative for you in those early years? For me, it would have been West Africa, and particularly the Hausa culture, um, which was the tribe, tribal group that I was most in contact with. Um, a certain amount of contact with the French culture. Um, English, via my family, and American, via my expatriate community. Oh, and then there's the mission culture, because I grew up in a missionary organisation. So we've got organisational culture, and we've got ethnic culture, and we've got passport country culture. It might be helpful for you to come up with a similar sort of columned list. Now, each of those cultures has their own views and opinions about childhood, right? What is a good child is a helpful question sometimes when we're trying to engage with our inner child. If a good child is one who is active and engaged and asking for things and wanting things, then when we sense our inner child doing similar, we might feel quite positive towards it. Yes, I'm allowed to want chocolate. Yes, I'm allowed to go and climb the tree. Yes, I'm allowed to ask lots of questions and be really engaged at the, at the lecture at university or in my workplace. You know, our adult self and our inner child are not at odds here. We can... We can feel really positive about that. Where it gets a bit more complicated is if we have competing cultural models of good child. So for me, there would be this competition almost between an inner child who is quite submissive, eyes lowered, knows, knows her place, very service orientated, and then the inner child who is up the tree is asking questions and jabbering non-stop, um, soaking up any attention she can get because she's still at a stage where she thinks she's delightful. Um, and then what do you do? Because those different, those children, those models of childhood, there are different needs that are okay and different wants that are okay. And different worries, 
different concerns. And then we go back into our story again and we ask ourselves, what did our stories teach our little children, our little parts about who they are? Those fundamental beliefs we carry about ourselves, where if we had to describe ourselves on a Oh, a dating website or to a new person or in our own journal, if we're being really honest. Do we describe ourselves as loud or quiet? Charismatic or do we consider ourselves a little on the dull side? How do we portray ourselves? What do we believe about ourselves? And something that comes up so much in the stories I hear from TCKs is that I'm getting emotional. Because it breaks my heart. I hear so often this belief that they're not enough. That they're not really lovable. And that they need to please or perform a certain way to keep people close. It's, it's all connected, right, isn't it? I'm not, people left constantly while I was growing up. Ergo, I'm not enough to make people stay. Ergo, I must bend over backwards trying to please the people around me to give them a reason to stay. I need to get it right this time. And all of that builds up an experience very often of an inner child who doesn't feel safe in her relationships, in his relationships, in their relationships. We often can encounter ourselves encounter our inner child as scared, really scared and looking for that relationship that will demonstrate once and for all that they're not leaveable, that they are lovable and that they are safe and accepted. Accept that in the process of trying to find that relationship, that perfect relationship that's going to make us feel okay, we're often employing strategies we learn as a child to try and make that relationship happen. We're trying to employ strategies perhaps that we hoped would please our parents or would gain their approval or other authority figures or influential figures, peers as well as adults who we felt could make that happen for us. Perhaps we are trying to be the best housewife or the best career person or perhaps we're trying to be the best parent, the best lover, the best churchgoer or member of whatever religious organisation we affiliate with. And because we're doing that, we, when we get acceptance, we, we end up in this cycle of this self-fulfilling thing, right? Where our inner child gets the approval that they are seeking, but it's for the things they thought other people needed in the first place, so they have to keep doing it. If I constantly am trying to earn people's love in little ways, Perhaps I never show up at a dinner empty-handed. Perhaps I'm always, always on time. 
perhaps I give the best gifts. Perhaps I am always the listening ear and I never take up too much space. Perhaps I take up all the space because I need to be as entertaining as possible. It can show up in so many different ways, but whatever we've decided is the thing that people want from us. We can work that and work that. And then people feed back to us. Oh, the cake was amazing. Oh, you're such an amazing parent. Oh, I can't believe what you achieved at work. And so we get gratification and we get validation and we think it'll make us safe, except we know how hard we work for that. And so we're not safe. We have to keep up the act. We have to keep being those things. And so our inner child gets stuck in this rut of this one way to feel safe that is entirely self-generated, where she is relying, he is relying, they are relying entirely on their own powers of persuasion, their own resources, their own talents to make themselves unleavable. Does any of this resonate for you? I'm so sorry if it does. There is another way. There's a way off the cycle. There's a way off that perpetual loop of trying to make them love us. And that is to engage with our inner child, to notice when they show up. It can be helpful to create a visual in our mind even for this child. It doesn't even have to be a mini me, but sometimes looking at old photos of ourselves can help us to connect with compassion for that little person. For me, it's more of an archetypal process. I have a sense of that little inner child in me as very vulnerable and very scared. And so she shows up in my mind's eye in a particular form. And that helps me to differentiate, actually, my emotional responses, to be able to say, okay, this is adult me and that is her. That is my child me wanting to eat all the chocolates in the dark. And this is adult me. And, you know, sometimes that's as far as I get. Sometimes the child still prevails and I sit in the dark and eat chocolates. But being able to hold them separate helps. I feel less like I'm losing my mind and all ability to be an adult. I can just recognize that that child got really scared and I didn't invest what I needed to in my adult self to be able to offer her what she needed. And that's what I'm inviting of me, of you, to consider ourselves in our adult space as having this opportunity to parent that inner child in a whole new way. And this can get challenging for people. This isn't me saying your parents did everything wrong. This isn't me saying your parents parented you wrong. This is me saying that if your inner child is showing up regularly in a way that feels out of control or destructive or just really confusing and overwhelming, then they have some unmet needs And those needs are needs we need to address now in the present. And and that child needs a parent. And that parent is us. Who better placed? After all, she is us. We know her. She knows us. But she might not trust us, right? How many of us 
speak to our inner child harshly. As I'm eating that chocolate, I am criticizing that part of me that wants the chocolate, right? I am emotionally and verbally being cruel to her. And so we end up with this internal rupture. We end up with a child we know, but who doesn't really trust us because we're not kind. We're not always kind. And again, let's go back to those cultural um, stories of childhood, those sociological models of childhood. You know, maybe that's how we spoke to children. That's how society around us spoke to children growing up. And so that's how we've learned to speak to our inner child. It doesn't always help to be harsh. But you know this. You live it, I suspect. So what does a child need? What does it need from us? What does our inner child actually need from us? And what do we give it when, when so often we find them overwhelming and loud and we just want to sit in a corner and rock while they tear down the house around us? They need our presence. And by this I mean to just name them, to acknowledge that they're there, to acknowledge that they're panicking, to acknowledge to ourselves, okay, Rachel, this thing has happened and as much as you are rationalising it, you are experiencing panic, to just name it. You know, when a kid falls over and bangs their knee and they come over, just naming the hurt can be enough. Oh, you've banged your knee. Look, it's bleeding. If we don't acknowledge that for the child, that child is going to wail all the louder because they need acknowledgement. So let's acknowledge them. What we don't do is withhold any of their needs. We don't punish ourselves, right? So when I overeat with chocolate, I don't withhold food for the next meal. It sounds like the most basic thing, right? But how often are so many of us tempted to punish? We punish ourselves in the most creative ways. We withhold long baths in favour of more efficient showers. We withhold all over body lotion because we don't have time. We withhold exercise and nutrition. We withhold our favourite TV show because we didn't earn it by working hard enough today. A child doesn't need us to withhold their basic needs. I'm not saying that we have to give in to all their urges, right? That that was the chocolate issue I gave in. I ate too much chocolate. That wasn't a need. That was a distraction from the need. But given that I went there, I don't punish that part of me by withholding need, basic, fundamental nutrition and care keeping my body safe and warm and loved. To offer ourselves safety is the most basic need that we can meet for that inner child. And that might mean emptying the calendar of some social engagements. That might mean offering ourselves an exit strategy if we're worried about a party getting too loud or too long. Paying attention to our need for safety matters. 
and we watch our tongue with this child. We don't abuse her or him or they. We don't criticise. The old adage of if you can't find anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Just don't. It's easier said than done and I fail at this daily, but it helps to focus on that child being a child. This isn't just a wayward part of ourselves we need to subdue or manage or discipline. This is a child part of us. This is tender and raw and hurting. That child also needs fun. When was the last time you let your child play? Eat dessert first, take some time off, read a book that isn't educational. And the flip side of this is this child needs order. Every child needs order and a sense of limit. A sense of structure, a sense of, no, don't eat all the chocolates, they'll make you feel sick. <laughs> a sense of there being a grown-up that's going to meet their needs. But fundamentally, I think what I'd invite all of you to do is consider how you can communicate to your inner child that they are your priority and that you're not going to leave them. When we choose people pleasing over our own needs, we are self-abandoning. We are piling on to a message that child is already carrying of being leaveable, that we are in fact leaveable. Of course we are, we have abandoned ourselves. Every time we choose kindness or compassion or self-prioritizing, every time we choose health for ourselves, something wholesome for ourselves, something delightful, for ourselves. We need to be able to see the light in our inner child's eyes. That light that says, oh, you've got my back, I'm loved. If we can rebuild our relationship with our own inner child, I honestly believe we'd be unstoppable. we could be on our own side, if we could accompany ourselves effectively and lovingly and with compassion, if we could open a dialogue with ourselves about why we have complicated cultural relationships with our own self, if we could explain that to our own child, it sounds bonkers saying it out loud but it works I've seen it work I've felt it work if we could just take ourselves seriously I suppose if we could take our stories seriously the sky's the limit I'd love to hear from you 
if any of this resonates for you. Or perhaps your story is completely different. But so often, I think, we do have these very difficult relationships with our own inner children where we want them to shut up and behave. Or we indulge them in some ways and starve them in others. And either way, their real fundamental needs for safety and love, verbal assurance, fun, order, being a priority. We haven't met those basic needs. But we could. Take care of yourself, all of the yous. And I'll see you next time. Bye.